I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. On today's episode, I am chatting with Brett Crozier. Brett grew up in California and graduated from the United States Naval Academy. He embarked on a 30-year career in the Navy, flying dozens of combat missions over Iraq and leading at the highest levels of operational command. He served as the commanding officer of a combat F-18 strike fighter squadron, the world's largest and most advanced communication ship, USS Blue Ridge, and ultimately the aircraft carrier USS Theodore Roosevelt before retiring from the Navy in 2022. Surf When You Can is his first book. I am beyond excited to have him on the show today as the USS Theodore Roosevelt has a special connection with our family as well. Welcome to the show, Brett. Thanks, Kara. Happy to be here today. I am so glad to have you here. Well, I know we have this intro from you, but why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. Yeah, I uh, grew up in California and still have most of my family up and down. Well, I actually have migrated down to San Diego, but back when I was a kid, I, I knew I wanted to fly. I, I mean, my dad was in the Air Force and I was exposed to airplanes at a young age, I guess. And and then that that movie that came out and that we all talk about in 1986 <laughs> was left a pretty good mark and, and uh, steered me towards naval aviation. So I was ready to go right to flight school, like age 16. And luckily I had adults that were involved in that process and they helped guide me towards the Naval Academy and, and then flight school. And then I spent, uh, out of, out of flight school, I went and flew helicopters for 10 years and then okay. switched over to fighters and flew F-18s for, you know, the last 20 years of my career. And then had a chance to command a squadron and a bunch of ships and, uh, and, uh, enjoyed it, enjoyed everything about it. I really enjoyed my time in the Navy. I think we did, uh, 20 moves in, in 30 oh, years. and. Goodness. So we uh, we had fun with that, and now now we call San Diego home. And 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 I, you know, I usually say this at some point. I, you know, for us, the Navy is kind of a family business. We've it's my wife's a Navy brat. My my dad was in the Air Force, but I grandfather in the Navy. Uh, wow. Two of my three sons have are either in or have served in the Navy. So um, you know, it's a special place for us. And and I've uh, enjoyed everything about my time in the Navy. And and now excited to kind of share uh, a lot of the stuff I learned along the way in the, in the book. So I'm eager to talk about that and everything else today. So thanks for the chance. Yeah, no problem. I agree that it feels like such a family atmosphere. We've, my husband's been in 12 years. And so we've done, I think we're on move six. (laughs) I'm like, I've kind of lost count. Um, but it is a family and it only has gotten smaller as we've continued to move around and be in this a little bit longer. It's like, well, now we know someone at the next duty station. How exciting is that? Um, and so I'm sure you experienced that many times over in 30 years. <laughs> yeah. And then at some point you realize you're that old guy that, you know, when you were a young lieutenant, you look up and like, how did I get to this point now? Or, <laughs> or I'm in charge. And I still feel like I'm that young lieutenant, you know, who's been in the Navy six years, but that's, that's just part of life. Right. And if you're doing it right, then maybe that's how it's supposed to work. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed, enjoyed everything about my time and all the excitement along the way. And, and the family, you know, there's, it's a challenge, as you know, firsthand, it's a challenge for the family, but it's also very rewarding because you get to live all over the world and, and you get to experience all these amazing adventures and, and see different places and meet different people. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think I always tell people, um, we are, we're a family of five and I'm like, I don't think we would be able to afford to tr- do the amount of travel that we right. have done without 
the Navy, right? Moving us around and then we go to a different location and we can explore that whole area that is around, around the duty station that we're at. Yeah. You can totally immerse yourself in the culture and, and, uh, yeah, I agree. That's, I mean, I, we still love to travel and then certainly never travel as much as we'd like, but I like to think in the Navy, we kind of got to travel a little bit more than, more than most and, uh, and like the opportunity to live, truly live in overseas and live in a foreign culture was pretty fun for us. We lived in Italy and, and then Japan and, uh, yeah, I liked it, really liked it. So look, looking forward to even going back to some of those places now and that I'm out of the military and ideally with more free time and, and the chance to really explore a little bit more, but, but, yeah. uh, it was, it's fun. It's a fun adventure. Yeah, absolutely. I laughed when you were talking about that movie that came out in 1986 because my boys have now seen that and they're seven and three, yes. And we screened the movie for my three year old, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but that's all they talk about wanting to be as a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I think just like books, I mean, movies could be very influential because it just, if you're the right age and it connects you in a certain way, you'll never forget. And, and uh, you know, I remember the movie I, when I saw that movie and I meant just like I remember books that I read that were very impactful and, and it just lets, you know, kind of just plants a seed that, uh, that, you know, leads to certain adventures and paths in your life, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens with them as they get older. Yeah. One of my questions for you, actually, and since we're talking about family, I feel like this is perfect timing, was for us that are still in the military, maybe, is there one piece of advice you would share, you know, as far as the family unit that's moving around? Yeah, I think you know, you do, you travel so much and you move so much and the job demands a lot of everybody. Um, and we're really good at planning military operations and we're really good at, you know, the ship deployments and the squadron deployments. But I think it's, it's important to use those same planning skills, almost like project management skills, <laughs> but use that with your family when it comes to vacations and stuff. And because um, otherwise you tend to skimp and next thing you know, it's Friday, you've got no plans for the weekend or you're just going to take a obligatory two weeks before deployment or, you know, uh, basket leave on the back end. And those are great opportunities. And I think it's worth, I look back on the, the best vacations we took and I'll give Mary all the credit because she actually did most of the work, but, <laughs> but, you know, you can really have some fun overseas or even, to, you know, even locally, but you got to put some time into it and you kind of plan it out just like a military operation and, uh, and enjoy it. And it doesn't mean you have to get up at six o'clock in the morning, yeah. but it, but it, you know, but if you put some thought into where and when and, and uh, that's that's what I liked. I mean, I'm I'm all about follow your nose, but when it comes, as you know, when it comes to family planning and all the dynamics of moving people around and luggage, uh, a little bit of effort into that will go a long way. Just like it would be in the military, do the same thing to your family, and then you can really maximize those vacations and the time off, and and you got to plan for it. So, yeah. yeah, more take more time off, spend more time with the family, and <laughs> when you do have the time off, uh, plan accordingly so you can get the most out of it. Well, thank you. That's perfect. Yeah, I. I always, that's another thing I'll tell people when they ask about the military. I'm like, well, at least I know in my mind, we have like a finite period of time that we're going to be somewhere. So it does force us to get out and do more things. Yeah. We're growing up in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago and I feel like, I mean, we went to the museums for maybe school field trips, but it's like, I didn't take advantage of what Chicago had to offer on a regular basis. Cause I didn't right. have this timeline of mine where I knew I was going to be moving and I was going to be leaving. So it's like, well, you got three years to do it. So <laughs> get yeah. done what you want to get done. And I think you're right. Not, and not everybody in the military does that. They, they move, they get settled and they kind of just hunker down on the base or whatever. But, you know, we found that we had to kind of, you know, we forced ourselves to get out and about and then you can play tourist. And even if you're back here in San Diego, same thing. I mean, there's many opportunities in San Diego that some people don't take advantage of, but 
with that kind of military mindset of always thinking you're about to move, you know, you, you know, you take advantage of all the things Balboa Park has to offer, all the things that, you know, that LA has to offer. And, and uh, I think you could probably go 30 years and not do as much as you can really do in about a two year tour uh, yeah. with a, you know, if you're a military family that really focus on it. So, yeah. Well, that is great advice. Thank you so much for that. Um, so let's talk a little bit. You have your first book coming out. It's June 13th, correct? Is the published That's date? correct, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I have the privilege of knowing your story, but can you give us a little background? Did you did you know you have a book in you, that this was going to be something you're going to do? No, I think... I think all fighter pilots know they like to tell stories. And I okay. think as you, as you get more senior, I think you recognize when you communicate as a leader, sometimes it's through storytelling. Um, I think I can remember where people used to tease me even in college that they said, you're going to write a book someday because you can tell these amazing tales. And uh, <laughs> even though I was just making them up or, you know, off the cuff, I don't think I ever thought I'd have the time or desire to to sit down and write a whole book. I like reading books. Sure. I like living adventures, but, but, you know, as I, as I was wrapping up my 30 year career in the Navy and obviously there's the whole TR incident that, um, that took place. Um, you know, I had time to really kind of reflect on all my time in the service. Yeah. And as they say, you know, written out is thought out. Right. So in my mind, the best way to think through all the cool stories and people and adventures was to write it out. So, you know, I, and the reason I wrote it really was one to kind of thank all the men and women that I served with in those 30 years that I, you know, flew with or fought with or sailed with. Um, it's kind of like your team, right? So it was my way to kind of ideally thank them in the story and tell a story uh, about my time with them. Um, and I knew I had, I, I felt really blessed that I had at that 30 years to learn all these lessons about leadership and life and and I, I didn't want to just sit on them. I could share them with my kids, but as you know, kids get tired of hearing your story. So, <laughs> so I really wanted to share them in a way too that resonated with a broader audience outside the military, um, because I think there's a lot of great leaders in the military. I think there's a lot of amazing things going on, and I wanted to share it in a way that's relatable to the other 95 percent of the population that have never served or, yeah. you know, been in the military. So, and then I think probably third is is when the TR incident happened. I think there was a lot of misconceptions, and a belief that I was bitter or angry or, you know, there was, that was a natural assumption in today's environment. People assume people mainly take sides and there's a, yeah. a winner or a loser. I, you know, nothing's that clear. Nothing's that black and white. You know, I made the decisions I did because I was trying to take care of my sailors. And at the end of the day, the Navy took good care of me. I mean, yeah. whether I stayed in command or not, I, that's a different reason for that kind of decision, but I'm still okay with my decision. And, and the Navy took care of me and the family. And, you know, I came back to San Diego, I had a great job. I continued to fly fighters till the very end and, and I have no regrets. Wow. I mean, I wouldn't do anything differently. And, and I felt like the Navy, you know, took care of me to the end and my family as well, which is, you know, with, with two sons that then joined and served with the Navy, obviously, like I said, at the beginning, it's a family business for us. So, so there is no bitterness and it's just, you know, people make decisions for the reasons they think are important. Um, and I just wanted people to know that that's why I did it. And, uh, and I'm okay with that. And I'm okay in the end. There's no, there's absolutely no bitterness. You know, I still love my time in. And if I was that young 16 year old, when the movie came out called Top Gun, I ideally would do exactly <laughs> what I did and make, yeah. make no, no different decisions. Yeah. As far as, you know, talking about leaders and for anyone that is leaders, is there any advice that you would give them after like looking back at your 30 years? Um, I, I think one is a leader, you've got to be 
disciplined. You have to be tough on yourself. I mean, yeah. you know, you have to, you have to work hard, but you, you have to have a good balance with your family, but, you know, be disciplined with yourself, but, but be gentle with others, right. Or be kind with others. Uh, and that's, it doesn't mean you baby people. It doesn't mean you don't have a standard. It doesn't mean you inspire people and you set goals to achieve whatever it is. And that's, this is not just military. This is true in yeah. corporate world or nonprofit world, or, you know, probably even in your classroom, if you're a teacher, you know, you, you can be hard on yourself, but it doesn't mean you have to be hard on everybody else. You can still be gentle and kind with people. So I guess if there's one lesson. It's, it's kind of what I say in one of my chapters, like, you know, when in doubt, be kind, Yeah. you won't regret it. You're already, in most cases, when you have those decisions, you're a leader that already has a lot of authority and a lot of, you know, power as it will, but there's no reason to have to be mean or be a jerk. Like there's just nothing gained by it. Yeah. Um, and if you really are trying to lead people, sometimes a little bit of kindness will inspire them, motivate them, and you'll get better results, which is really what you're after. You're trying to inspire and, and get the most out of your team. And I think sometimes, you know, the golden rule of lead others, how you want to be led applies uh, yeah. to life, no matter where you, where you serve, and where you lead. I can imagine that the culture you would create with kindness is a lot better <laughs> than yeah, the opposite. Yeah, it's just a more pleasant way, right? Yeah, yeah I, agree. I agree. Yeah, I actually read this book and I thought even there were so many principles in your book that I could apply to even my family life. Like the chapter on focus on the closest alligator. It's like, I literally am doing that all day long with my children. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. don't think listeners out there, if you're listening to this, like you need to be associated with the military to read this book. I felt like there was so much relatable and the tenets of your book were relatable to all assets or all parts of my life, including me as a mom and how I'm yeah. just managing my family. So, yeah, I, I tried to tell the stories um, through very relatable topics, but also through the people I met. And, and sometimes they were in the military, sometimes they weren't. But I think it's those interactions, right? The the relationship you have in life doesn't have to be with the military, but that's really what was the foundation of everything I learned were the people I met along the way, yeah. whether they were in the service or out of the service. And and yeah, I try to write it again for, for a pretty broad audience. I, I've got a lot, a lot of younger nieces and nephews and I'm like, even they, I hope, understand it and would appreciate it as well as my dad who's loves military books and all the Tom Clancy books. I'm like, I, you know, I, I know he will appreciate some of the more technical aspects, but um, so we'll see. We'll see if it, if it, goes from my eight-year-old you know, niece to my, my father, but so far they like it. So they have read most of it. So yeah. that's the good news. Yeah. And I thought even as a military spouse, my husband is in the medical side of the military. And so we had, the TR was our first experience with ship life. And I was like, I wish I would have been able to read this book before he went on the ship, because just the way that you talk about what is expected of the military member gave me such an appreciation why in that moment, family might not be number one, right? What is being asked of yeah. you on the mission? I thought that was huge. And I was like, this would have been so helpful. I think any a spouse that is attached to someone that is in the ship life, I think reading that would be make Good, a huge impact just to, again, have that understanding of they have a job they're being asked to do. And that might mean we're going to take a back burner for the next few hours, but that's okay. That doesn't mean they're like, we're on the back burner for life. Yeah. It's just the mission that yeah. they're asked to complete. Yeah. We ask, we ask a lot in some high risk environments and, and I guarantee, you know, a spouse and family, you want your son or daughter to be focused on that mission at the time. Mm -hmm. You don't want them distracted by anything because that's for their own safety and well being and, 
and success of the mission, but, but it isn't all the time. You're right. There's, you know, you need to focus when you have to, and then though you can spend time with your family when you can. I think that's a, it's an important balance. That's yeah. the title. Surf when you can is all about yeah. that life work balance, right? Family and work and yeah, and that story about I hope you don't mind. I'll give a what that story about Thanksgiving when you guys were off the coast of California. Oh, right. Yeah, and how you were like, well, maybe we could go closer to shore, and then they could call their families. That part brought me to tears because I'm like, just the fact that leadership would recognize that how special that would be for us to receive that call. I was like, oh yeah. my goodness, I was crying over the book. My son's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> But I could just <laughs> feel the emotions of how special that would have been. Yeah, no, it was a good moment. I remember that. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It was nice to be able to do that for the crew and 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 know that we could connect with the families because we had been so busy and we were going about to go back out and uh, and and be busy for a couple more weeks. You know, right over the holidays. So it was fun to have the opportunity to to really kind of thank the families that were out there on Thanksgiving Day, right? To, yeah. Without their their loved ones, so yeah, well, that's that good. Great. I appreciate the feedback. Yeah. And then how long did it take you to write the book? Uh, well, for those who have written books, you know, there's like a thousand versions, right? Like you just, <laughs> you start and you think you got it and then you, and that's okay. I, you know, I used to talk with the editors and, and the team and, and uh, I said, you know, I always said steel sharpens steel. Like, you know, I, I understand. And I, there's as much as I put my heart and soul into it, I know there's you guys are going to see it differently. And I need that sure. feedback. Um, and it's easy, certainly with a book, just like, you know, think for those that haven't read a book, think about the last time you turned a paper into your teacher. Like the last thing you want is to come back with a bunch of red ink all over it. However, you know, there is a business aspect to it, meaning that they're going to give you feedback on it in a way that they think it'll be more relatable. So, um, so I enjoyed that kind of teamwork, to be honest, you know, with my, I had a writing coach, I had editors, folks that kind of help you along the way. Um, and they really help refine it. And that's, that was almost as enjoyable as just sitting down and typing out you know, stories. It was the the discussions and the interactions and the feedback and, hey, what do you think about if we move the story here? Um, and so in the end, and I wouldn't say it's totally different what you think, but your initial thought when you go in to write a book, I guarantee is probably going to be different than what the book really looks like at the end, but in a good way, it's going to be better. It's going to be refined. And, you know, the whole idea, again, steel sharpens steel, you need that feedback and and mechanism to get feedback and then you can make sure your product ends. So, so I did, I enjoyed it. And um, you know, I was a math major and an engineer at heart. So, <laughs> you know, I like to look at things very analytically. Um, and you know, that's, so it's a skill you don't, I mean, no one had, no one sits down and writes a book unless you're a professional author. It can be very intimidating. It can be something that seems like a stretch for anybody unless you've done it a bunch of times, but, but just like they, you know, they say, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Well, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. It's the same way you write a book. Yeah. You don't have to sit down and write a chapter. You don't have to sit down and do anything, but the act of sitting down and thinking about the stories you want to tell and outlining it all out, that's always a positive step. And it takes a lot of those little bites of the elephant, a lot of little steps, and then eventually things start flowing. And and, and if you sit down and it's not a good day to write, then it's not a good day to write. You go do other stuff. And so yeah. I don't I don't know if I could have done it if it was a full-time job. Like that's a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. And I so I did it on the side of other jobs, my current work with nonprofit world. And so that was an easier balance because then I did totally just separate myself from the book. And and I did, I spent a lot of time surfing, thinking about the book and thinking about stories. And I'd come back and and maybe my surfing would inspire me to write a couple more <laughs> chapters or stories. Yeah. Um, but it's good. In the end, I'm, you know, I, it's funny. You've, you feel like you've read it so many times and and then you read it again. You're like, oh, that's right. You know, that does flow better than I thought. Or 
or you sometimes you forget how you wind up your stories and to make your point but uh, but it's fun it's a fun process yeah and challenging and frustrating and all that but in the end when you're at the end and you're on this side of it yeah you feel like you've climbed the mountain and you're excited now to kind of share it with people yeah. And it sounds like throughout, I mean, having, again, read your book and what you've gone through and all the, I didn't even realize all the training that you had to go through to become and going back to school. I mean, all of those stories were incredible, but it sounds like you're a person that likes to push yourself and challenge yourself. So I imagine this was just the, another yeah. step for you to do that since it is so yeah. different than your analytical brain to write this. Yeah. And, and you know, and, I, and obviously the, the TR episode presented this opportunity gave me a little bit of a platform to to write stories and and, to, and and maybe people would bother to pick up at first draft that otherwise wouldn't have. But, but you know, I was very clear from the beginning, this is going to be a book about all the positive things about my time in the Navy. It's not a, it's not a burn down house, burn down the house book, right? This is not sure. a book where I, I had, there's no bitterness and I didn't want that, you know, to come across. And so I had to be kind of clear at the beginning, but, but yeah, it's, it's, a, you know, I knew, you, you know, you don't always get these opportunities and, and when you do, you just got to make the most of it. And, and and doing that, you learn and you grow. And that's, I think, part of life is never stop learning. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's switch gears to who you are as a reader. What genres Ooh. do you enjoy? Um, I'm, I am all over on this. Uh, and it's a great question. I love, this is what I love about your podcast is, is so many other podcasts are broad and everything from leadership to current events. But, um, I, you know, in the process of thinking about this podcast with you, it's like, I put more thought into what I read and how I read and stuff that I probably have in, in years. And, uh, and so <laughs> well, it makes you think, you. and I, and I know your <laughs> listeners probably enjoy it for that reason, but, but I do, I kind of bounce around. I like, I like nonfiction, you know, I'm, I'm certainly someone that goes through a bookstore, sees a nonfiction book, picks it up and then takes it home. And then I also like fiction that are just, you know, things just to kind of detach your brain and just read an adventurous story. So I kind of bounce around. In fact, I I tried never to read two nonfiction or two fiction books back to back. I just, I think I like the the switch. And, you know, as a kid, I read a lot of adventure books and a lot of, I don't know, like a lot of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and all these adventure books. Those I really enjoyed as a kid just because I thought was a great way to, to, you know, to envision yourself. But, but I probably, the things I, I, brought in today we're going to talk about some of the, the non-fiction but non-fiction maybe adventurous books that yeah. are you know either biographies or adventure stories that um that i that maybe straddle that line they're not fiction but they're, they're adventurous non-fiction books and and i think you know that's where you, for me i learned the most from right because they're real people real scenarios and and real events and there's something impactful about that. So Yeah. I love those too because you get to see – I always try to put myself in their shoes and be like, would I respond or would I act the same way if I was faced yeah. with the same scenario? And for me, that's such a fun way to read because it, it challenges you to think about who you are too, right? And how Absolutely, yeah. Be. Yeah, and I think that's – you're right. That's what's great about nonfiction or even especially nonfiction biographies, right? Um yeah, you know, it's a way to self-reflect and, and grow as a person too. Yeah. You know, one of the books we'll talk about is a famous Navy Admiral. And uh, and yeah, so you, I can't help but read that, especially when I was in the Navy and go, what would I have done or how would he have handled this situation? And I think that's what's great about a good book that that you can relate to. Um, so yeah. yeah, so that's, so I'm a little bit all over as a book reader. Okay. I just, um, I like both fiction and nonfiction, but, I'm, but I tend to gravitate towards the adventurous side of either genre, I guess, as it were. Yeah. And then in your busyness of life, how do you find time to read? 
That is hard. That's <laughs> like, I think the biggest challenge. Um, so kind of like writing, I think I learned early on that, you know, as much as I want to sit down and read for like an hour or two hours, that's a daunting task. And as you yeah. know, with, with kids, sometimes it's impossible. And if you're going to try to do that hour at the end of the day, I'm usually asleep like 10 minutes into it. So, Same. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I learned that sometimes just sitting down and reading a page or two might just be the way that I keep moving forward on a book. And then there'll be times when I have longer, but if I put this owner, it was, if I had to read a chapter or nothing less, then I would have a hard time picking a book up at all. So I found that sometimes smaller bites work. Um, my favorite time, favorite way to read though, is like the middle of the day with the bright sun out, out like in the back patio, like that for me, that's just the best way to enjoy the sun and read a book. And uh, I might fall asleep, but usually that's where I can get through a chapter or two and it's just a nice way to break up a weekend day or something. So, yeah. so I do that. And I, I do audiobooks just cause I don't, you know, it, there's not a lot else to do when you're driving in traffic sometimes. And so I, I like to balance between hard copy and then, you know, at home or something, an audiobook. And I save the true fiction, like for the audiobooks, because if I'm stuck in traffic or have to worry about traffic and commuting, then I don't, I don't necessarily miss as much in a, in a fiction adventure book than I would yeah. as a nonfiction. It's a little bit easier to follow the storyline, I think, of an yeah. audiobook. And it's such a great way to fill that that time, like you're saying. Like, you're already going to be stuck on the road. It's inevitable, but it's a right. great way to fill that space. Yeah. Yeah, I do. That's, that's, in fact, I find that I don't worry about traffic as much when I have a, a good audiobook going and, you know, I don't complain. Otherwise, otherwise you're stuck on the, the bridge traffic at Coronado. And if you don't have a good book to listen to, you're just looking at your watch and yeah. counting, the, counting the minutes. So, I'm good audiobook. Because I find myself doing much more cleaning as well when I have my audiobook on. Like, I'm yeah. like, oh, I can persevere in this task, even though I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. it's good. It kind of detaches your brain a little bit. So, yes. Well, and you've so graciously prepared a book flight for us today of I books. Did. So, I'm I really thought that was excited. like the assignment. This is like an English assignment. I was ready. It is. But it's, <laughs> we're just going to have a little chat about these books. And I'm really excited to hear about your flight today. Can you tell us a little bit how they pair together? Sure. So I think, um, like I said, I lean, I lean towards nonfiction. So these are all nonfiction books um, and definitely on the more adventurous side, uh, whether it's a specific event or it's a, a biography of someone that had an adventurous career or it's uh, a memorable book that I read as a young kid that maybe set me on a course uh, in aviation. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's so all of them could be good movies. All of them could be, could just could be fiction too except they're not in this case so they're written very well and yeah. and you can't help but read them and and then you know you take away different things from each one but uh but i think yeah i call them all on the non-fiction adventurous side okay. with some history thrown in awesome well what is the first book of the pairing today all right so my first one is into thin air by john krakauer which okay. is uh it covers like the 24-hour climb of mount everest back in 1996 that ended horrifically and i think there was eight fatalities that particular climb uh and i like to climb and no i haven't done everest and probably never will after having read his book but um that but it's enough. just a very <laughs> yeah i mean it's just a good adventurous book and takes you to a different climate different location uh, and you really get a sense of understanding of what it's like to you know to climb mount everest and all the challenges logistically and medically and physically and then when things go wrong when the weather goes wrong and i won't spoil it for anybody but it does go wrong and they're stuck on the mountain and it's interesting to listen to how different people respond to that and and how you know they had these competitive climbing groups you know that were trying to climb the mountain but at the end of the day it's it's a good look at i think human character because 
folks are kind of forced to join together to help each other out. And the, the strong ones, like the leads that have been doing this, all kind of come together to help out the collective group. And I think that was, uh, I just remember that was a great takeaway because you don't get the impression going in that that's going to happen. But um, once once all the chaos starts and and people are dying, these these real leaders kind of step up and help out and take care of one another. And it was collectively, not not any one person could do it by themselves. There's isn't a there's yeah. no Captain America. There's just strong people stepping up when they had to, and then helping save you know the collective group. So, um, but it's a good book. Wow. I hope people can you can certainly go watch the movie. I think there's a movie out, but I, okay. I encourage people to read his book because he writes in a way that. Uh, it's very exciting and you just get sucked into it. And that's one that I think was hard to put down when I started. Yeah, I've definitely seen this book. He's Is he a journalist by trade? Or yeah, he's done a couple other big books yeah. like that on that okay. side. And, so, yeah, and but... I think he was before that, I think he was more of a journalist. But the book, um, yeah, it's just it, it resonated with me. Not because I intended to climb Everest, um, but I like climbing. I like the idea of it. It was just the way he captured it without having to be on the mountain. At altitude yeah. in the cold, um, but uh, but I felt like I was. That's yeah. that's what a good book does. Absolutely. Well, I definitely need it's. I think this has been on my TBR forever. If I'm being honest, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, all right. But I think this would be a good, maybe even a good audiobook. We have a road trip coming up, so yeah, it probably would be a great audiobook. Okay, I'm gonna have yeah, to depending on who narrates it. So yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add about that book? Uh, no, I think it's an easy read. It's adventurous. And I think, uh, yeah, I think it's a great audio book. I think it's a good one for a, a sunny Sunday afternoon or, you know, the end of the night kind of thing. But, but I think, you know, to me, I think if you're going to read it, I think, think about the characters and think about the, yeah. you know, how the character development, which I think is true in any good story. It's, you know, what happens to the characters and how they grow and, and how they make the decisions that they do at the end. Awesome. Well, that was Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. And what's the second book of the pairing today? All right. So this one's a little slower, although historically even more exciting. It's about Admiral Nimitz, so Chester Nimitz. Okay. And it's his biography by E.B. Potter. So it's much longer. I think it's like 500 plus pages. It's, uh, okay. it's definitely more on the historical side. But, you know, as a Navy guy, my, my grandfather served in World War II and served under Nimitz at some point. Wow. So I always kind of envision my grandfather as Admiral Nimitz. Uh, but <laughs> it's interesting to look obviously with my Navy background and history, it's interesting to look at somebody through that period of time in the world and, and, and the U S Navy and how they rose to the positions of power and authority that they did and how they handled it. And I think Nimitz is renowned for as being a very patient leader, despite okay. him being in charge of the entire Pacific fleet, wow. essentially the moment after the, you know, December 7th, 1941, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, Nimitz quickly made his way out there and kind of took charge and really is credited with, you know, the defense of the Pacific and, and, and defeating Japan, not obviously by himself, but he was in the lead position to do just that. And despite that incredible pressure and despite all the stuff going on and, and let's, you know, be honest, warfare back in those days was significant. You would lose ships and thousands of people at a time. Um, because of just the nature of naval naval warfare when it happens. It's it's bloody, it's gruesome, it's in it. So there's all this overwhelming pressure. And I just I just what I really remember was not how he made the decisions he did about tactical things, but that little things like he was a big walker. Like he liked to walk every day, whether that was back in Washington, DC or in Hawaii, where he was spent most of World War II or later in his life. And he just said, you know, no matter what's going on. You know, it never gets any worse by taking a walk. And he would walk yeah. for a couple miles a day. And 
And I thought that was interesting. And, and I think it explained his patience and his ability in these really high stress environments to to collect, get people to work together to and not get, I'm sure he had his moments where he was short with people, but sure. for the most part, he's really well known for just his calm demeanor and how he led and led so successfully. And, and I would argue, you know, he's probably, you know, the whole idea, he's probably more of a kind leader as it were. He probably, you know, maybe came across as on the kind side, but obviously he clearly held people accountable and he did amazing things. And I think that's kind of why he's held in such high regard. So the book kind of covers his life and how he got there. And, but I really, what I really remember most uh, in the long book is how he handled that kind of command position there when he was a full admiral, fleet admiral in charge of the entire Pacific. And yeah. uh, it's just, you know, and then he went on to do more great things, but that's certainly what he's most, most famous for. And I served on the USS Nimitz on several okay. deployments. So I just felt like I at least had to know the, the namesake and how, you know, why who he was. And, and you, you don't go through the Naval Academy or go through any naval history class without learning about Nimitz. So yeah. uh, I feel like I want to know a little bit more about him. So anyone that likes to study World War II history, uh, study some of the folks in charge at the time, I think it's a great book. Yeah. And I was thinking even as like on the other end, just even driving around the military base, right? You'll see Nimitz Boulevard or Nimitz, you know, it's, like, right. it's such a popular name. And I be honest, I don't really know a lot about his history. So I think this would be fascinating. And I love reading books like this, these historical biographies to see what made people tick and yeah. how they got to be where they were, right? Because does it start with his early life, even before he was in the military? It does. Yeah. It's okay. right. I mean, so you get a glimpse of that and you're right. You he grew up in uh, Fredericksburg, Texas, of all places. And okay. and there's a hotel there and, and now renowned for the birthplace and the, the boyhood of Nimitz. So sure. of all places for a Navy guy to, to grow up, it's this random part near, I think it's near Austin. Okay. Um, and it's a small little Texas town. So it's interesting to to know his German roots and his background and, and how his family got there and then beyond. But um, but a good portion is certainly focused on his later years. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But it makes you, that's what I like about bi biographies because you get to understand how they, they got from childhood to adulthood and, and how they were successful and not that everyone needs to be successful or nor does everyone want to find themselves in the position of being in charge of the entire Pacific fleet. But, sure. <laughs> but you get to watch somebody that was very successful, held in high regard and, and understand how he got there maybe and what, maybe what influenced him along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. So thank you for sharing that one. So is it Admiral Nimitz is the title or is it just Nimitz? I think just called Nimitz. Okay. I think is or you can, you can Amazon it, but I think Potter's a pretty renowned biographer. Um, okay. But uh, this is one. So it's a bigger book, but I think yeah. it's the only one by Potter called Nimitz. Okay. We'll look it up. <laughs> we'll have it in the show notes. Don't you worry, listeners. It's a big one. It's a big yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was Nimitz by E.B. Potter. And then what is the last book of our pairing today? So keeping in the theme with military here and, and adventure books, I read this book when I was, it came out like in 1983. Um, it's called Chicken Hawk. Okay. Um, and and it talks about a guy named Robert Mason, who's the who's the author, and his time as a Vietnam helicopter pilot. Wow. And so I, you know, I won't tell you how old I was then, but I was young enough to to ha you know be able to read, obviously. And uh, and this is maybe before Top Gun came out. It's like three years before Top Gun came out. Okay. And I remember being on vacation, and I can't remember how this book ended up in my lap, but I it was shortly after it came out, and I remember being on the beach, and I just wanted to de devour this book. It's one of those books that I just liked the way he talked. He was. Uh, maybe unconventional that he was, you know, because it's had been about 10 plus years since obviously the end of Vietnam. Um, but it was exciting and he was, 
you know, irreverent at times. And he just, it was just, it's really about somebody in combat and what it's like to go through that, both the camaraderie as well as the chaos. And it was from his perspective as a helicopter pilot. And I certainly, again, I was in love with aviation and everything about it. And he really described those kind of things well, you know, flying in combat and flying helicopters, which were, I mean, flying can always be dangerous. Certainly flying helicopters in Vietnam was extremely dangerous and easy to be shot at. And he obviously survived, but he had to go through all that and watch his buddies not survive and and folks get hurt and die and, and stuff. So I thought he... I thought he captured it well and he really talked about how it changed him and developed from both, you know, as he kind of was going in the military through his time and then beyond. Um, and yeah, I don't know that book, the book just stuck. So I remember when I went on to flight school, you know, a couple of years later and I'm learning to fly helicopters because that's where I started in the Navy. Sure. Um, you know, I couldn't do it without thinking about the book Chicken Hawk. And, and so I was actually pretty excited when I selected helicopters because I just like, I felt like I'd, since a young kid been studying all about helicopters and, and how to fly them. And I remember like, I'm going to, I'm going to be the first person to hover on their very first flight. Cause it's, a, that's one of the hardest tasks of flying a helicopter. Oh, okay. All right. I wanted to say that I can't imagine that you would go through experience like Vietnam without that impacting you. Right. And your character right. and what you've t- taken away from that. Um, just from the stories I've heard. So I, yeah imagine this would be a really interesting read yeah and i don't i don't know for some reason that like the question is for me is like why when i was that age maybe i was 13 14 something like that why did it why was it so impactful because you know it wasn't something i was worried about my dad you know he was in the service during vietnam but didn't have to deploy to vietnam um i think different too i mean you know vietnam of course seems like it was eons ago the rally wasn't that that long ago in the grand scheme of things for for many people um, but yeah, maybe it was that, maybe it was just the way he wrote about the transformation of himself as a helicopter pilot, Yeah, you know, as he went through the fear and the anger and the, you know, and the loyalty to his shipmates or his, you know, his squatter mates as it were. And I just found it, I, you know, in many ways it was how he described that brotherhood at the time, um, within his own squadron, you know, faced with those incredible challenges and danger. Um, and, and I think in the end, that's probably what I most took away was there is this, despite this incredible danger and you're deployed around the world doing these, you know, scary, maybe not the right term, but, you know, challenging things, uh, life or death things that it's that bond, that brotherhood, right? It's like, and that's really why as a military leader, what you're always trying to work on is building that camaraderie within an organization, because it's ultimately that's going to get people through those tough times. And, and he certainly leveraged that, uh, and explained that and wrote about it. Well, I think, and I think for him, certainly it was cathartic because he, needed to write you you know he needed to write to get through that and i think he wrote a subsequent book that i have not read i should but a couple of years later he wrote another book about like it's like chicken hawk part two of what it was like 10 years later you know and how he had had transitioned and transformed and where he was in life and um but i yeah that so was so i i kind of again i it kind of planted the seeds for me um or re or you know watered the seeds for my dad being in the air force when I was a young kid to mm-hmm. wanted to be in aviation my whole my whole life as a young kid to reading this book about helicopter flying which made flying helicopters for me even more exciting and then you know maybe top gun was really the the icing on the cake as it were that made me determine that I wanted to go fly in the navy so yeah. but that's that's what good books and movies will do i guess you yeah, they'll inspire you for sure. So that was Chicken Hawk by Robert Mason. And then you have also given us a dessert pairing today, which is awesome. So where are we going with that one? 
so same idea, a very adventurous book, and it's um and it's set back in like the early 1900s. Um, and it's about a character transformation, but this one's about the transformation of a dog called Buck, and it's uh, it's called, as everybody knows, Call of the Wild, with uh, by by Jack London. Yeah. And I, my connection, of course, is that I grew up in Northern California, um, and that's where Jack London spent a good portion of his life in and around the oh. Bay Area. Okay. So there's that. like so right outside, you know, right by my house, we had Jack London State Park. We had the Wolf Mansion, which is now just a foundation because it burnt down, I think, before he ever moved into it. But there's this massive Wolf wow. Mansion that you can hike to and kind of walk around Jack London State Park. And and so I was, I always felt a connection to Jack London just because he was from the area. He was obviously talked about quite a bit. And he wrote both fiction and nonfiction adventure books, you know, from Call of the Wild to White Fang to, you know, the, the uh, what's the Travels of the Snark, which is him sailing across the Pacific. But okay. um, the Call of the Wild is one. One, I love dogs. Uh, and this big dog buck in the story, for those that haven't seen the movie or haven't read it in a while, obviously, it's it's really about the transformation of this dog that goes from this really nice life where he's kind of pampered to the chaotic uh, Yukon you know, frontier and he has to fight for his, you know, to survive. And and so there's a transformation piece there. So I think, I think everybody should, like I said, read. You still need to read fiction and it's okay to read books you might have read when you're a young kid i bet they i bet they mean something to you different as you read them later in life and and i think jack london's just a phenomenal writer i think he he really figured out how to tell adventure stories like no one else has yeah i've loved going back and reading the classics because when i read them for school i felt like they were an assignment so you didn't it wasn't maybe always enjoyable to read them right, right. you're like i just need to write the paper i just need to do the book report or take this test on this book and so I've loved going back now. And that's what I actually try to like parse into my reading life is add a classic every couple yeah. books. Because sometimes I take a little bit more brain power to read, right? And right. the dialogue or the, you know, context of the story might be a little bit different, but it's uh and it hits me differently as an adult too, because I think I've had different experiences now where as yeah. a younger kid I I might not have even understood all of the story just because of the lack of life experience. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I mean, it's hard too if you're limited in your time to read, and and it's sometimes hard to justify going back to read an old classic. But uh, but again, you you do you learn something different. You look at it with a different perspective, and you learn something you know that you might not have learned when you were reading it, just to be able to answer the essay question on the test the next day. Awesome. So that was Call of the Wild by Jack London. How I like to end our show is called our bonus pairings, which are just okay. a speed round of questions. And so you can answer these really quick. So this okay. first one I'm going to change because you've already answered this about your favorite place to read. You've kind of told us that. Okay, Unless it's yeah. different than your back porch. No, I used to read on the bridge of the ship at times and other places, but okay. you know, somewhere comfortable in the sun is my favorite place to read. Okay. All right. And then do you prefer audiobooks or hard copy books? Um, I prefer hard copy, but I, you know, like we said, I think sometimes audiobooks. I mean, one, I just hate being in traffic, but if I am, I need to have an audiobook, and so I, that's why I kind of bounce between the two, which means I'm always trying to read two books at the same time, and I generally have them from different genres. But I guess, given the choice, I'd never be stuck in traffic, and therefore, I'd only read, you know, hardback books. There you go. All right, and then what is one book that you have read that has changed your life? Well, I mean, I guess Chicken Hawk in a way because it planted the seed. Change your life is such a is such a high bar for a book. Uh, they all do in some way, or yeah. they shape you in some way. And at different periods of your life, I can imagine yeah. too. 
So I don't know. I mean, that's why I remember Chicken Hawk so much. And I remember the other ones uh, when okay. I read them. Um, you know, what I really remember reading a lot, to be honest, and also reading to my kids was The Hobbit, um, which it. is totally on the other side of the spectrum from non nonfiction. But, but it's still one, an adventure it was, story. <laughs> it's an adventure story. Yeah. There's character development. It's about camaraderie and brotherhood and uh, and I had with three young boys, I knew that that was always, you know, that was just an entertaining story. And I used to read portions of it or, or I would sometimes just try to recite the story from memory, like tell them my own words. Um, uh, and they, you know, for a while, I think they were excited that I could tell these incredible stories only to realize later that I was just reciting a book I had read from, you know, an author that's obviously a little more famous than most. Yeah. But, um, so I don't know if it changed my life. I just think it was a book that really was adventurous, enjoyable, allow me to connect with the kids and and it's a fun it's a fun story which i think all books should be fun yeah and then are you a rereader um a couple of those books i mean the jack you know call of the wild and white thing and all the jack london books i i reread those occasionally i re i've reread the hobbit and and some of the tolkien books um for different reasons otherwise i don't always go back like if it's a good book i'll remember it and I don't feel the need to go back and reread it. And if it's not a good book, I'll forget it and generally not to need to pick it up. Um, certainly more on a, on a nonfiction, like a leadership book or a business book, there might be things in there that I'll, I'll highlight, annotate, and want to go back and think about. But that's different. Those are almost like, I don't know, they're educational books, I guess, right? Sure. They're, and, and some of those I'll reread for different reasons. But from a story perspective, there's a couple I reread, but most I don't. Most I, I think if it was good the first time, I'll remember it and maybe come back. But if it's not good, I won't, definitely won't go back and try again. Yeah, yeah. life is busy enough. <laughs> right, right. And then last question here. What are you reading next? Um, well, let's see. I've got, I guess I have two books. Um, I'm reading The Nudge, or okay. I think it's called Nudge. And it's, it's, um, it's really about choice architecture. So written by, it's been written, I think this is like the third or fourth edition. Um, what are the names? Like Thaler and Sunstein. And it's a, it's an educational book about how we can influence decisions by society or people based on, you know, how we set things up. So the wow. idea being, okay, if you're going to the cafeteria or you're setting up your cafeteria line and you want kids to choose more fruit and vegetables, well then mm -hmm. put the fruit and vegetables up front. Okay. Don't make it at the end of the line. And then, because by the time they get there, they picked everything else out. So sure. it's little things like that. It's how you influence decisions, um, you know, politically or or socially. It's So I think there's something very educational about it. And they've written, it's it's easy to read. It's kind of like a Gladwell type book, um, but I like that one. And then I just finished today, actually. It's my audio book, which is, um, it's called Bad Karma. Okay. Um, and I it's, it's by Paul Wilson, I think is the name, Paul Wilson. Okay. So the reason I... I didn't buy it, um, but it was for sale at one of the Coronado surf shops. And, and it's about this adventurous surfing expedition, you know, 30, 40 years ago to Mexico. And it's based on, this is a true story, based on guys that lived in Coronado. And they basically wow. had a VW bus and they drove, through, or they maybe actually, they might have been IB at the time. And they had this big house they all lived in so they could surf. And they got on their VW bus and then over the course of five weeks had this incredible adventure. Then, you know, they took them in and out of prison. They met. El Chapo, they, you know, they, there was just this crazy adventure as they were looking for this perfect surf spot down south. And, um, wow. so anyway, I didn't, I, I just rarely does a surf shop sell books. And so <laughs> they obviously were promoted because he was a local author and then it's called Bad Karma. Uh, and it's certainly an adventurous story and funny too, because he, he's in the end kind of, you can, 
he does a good job of kind of talking about what he's learned through all this misadventure and all the 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 bad karma he's had by the bad decisions he made. But um, but it's yeah. as a surfer, as somebody that you know likes you know this part of San Diego and and Mexico as well, it's fun to kind of listen to it and and go, oh my god, that's you know what an adventure that you would not today you wouldn't get away with like you just yeah. you know in the end the answer he survived uh, as did his friends, but. You know, it's one of those books where every turn is another mis- misstep or misadventure, and and he does a good job of capturing it. So that one's called Bad Karma by Paul Paul Wilson. All right. Well, that sounds fun because it would be relatable, like you said, to being local yeah. to the area. So that would be fun to read. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And then I wanted to ask you when we were talking about your book, I saw on your website that part of the proceeds of your book are going towards some nonprofit organizations as yeah. well. Do you get to choose which ones? being the author or how does that work? Yeah. So I just basically take proceeds from the book if it sells and I give some portion to those and I already have. And the ones, so on the website I list, I think I call it the cause and I list um, four or five websites of nonprofits that are doing what I think are, you know, good work, whether it's the Surfrider Foundation helping, uh, you know, take care of the surf and the beach and the ocean environment to my own nonprofit that I work at now called Veterans Village of San Diego that helps out homeless veterans in the San Diego area. Uh, okay. There's a couple more on there. So I, I give portions of the proceeds to them and, and kind of help support them, but ideally just bring attention to them as well for those that go to the website and then click on that link. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's cause there's, as I'm finding now that I'm out of the Navy, um, there's a lot you can do. You have a lot of things you can choose to yeah. invest your time in. And uh, I've enjoyed the book stuff and writing about the book and now talking about it, but I like being involved in the nonprofit world, particularly when you talk about taking care of veterans that, that are maybe down their luck. They're homeless or dealing with some of the drug problems you find in the area, yeah. uh, mental health problems, and need need some assistance. And uh, so I find it generally pretty rewarding work, it's, which is much like the military. It's we're an organization with a lot of people that uh, are trying to to find value and take care of folks, which is kind of cool. I like what you do in the military. So yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, listeners, you can go at surfwhenyoucan.com, Correct is the website, so you can take yep, a look there. It. You can pre-order the book. It'll be out soon. I think it would be an excellent Father's Day gift. I like recommended it to so many people. Like, you should get this for your husband for Father's Day. It'd be a great gift. Yeah, so, be good. Great. Um, for that. But I thank you so much for your time today. I know it's precious, so I appreciate all that you've given me on the show. No, care. It was it was a fun conversation. Like I said, it's fun to to talk about what you're reading and what people are reading because I think you learn a lot from that alone and. I think a good book can make a big impact on your life. And uh, and so it's, it's, you know, it's important to think about the books you've read and what you want to read going forward. And I, and I applaud you for, for bringing in folks to, to do just that and talk about the books they like. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation today with Brett Crozier. I hope you enjoyed this episode, including his book flight, of nonfiction adventure stories. We'd love to hear what other books you would pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at bookishflights. This is a brand new show, so if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. 
Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time. Thank you.